Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. For listeners who have been tuning in regularly, you've probably noticed I've got this little spiel off the top where I'm asking people to go over to YouTube. I have a channel over there, Life As A, dot, dot. And basically, it's just highlights from the main audio versions, from the podcast versions of these talks that I have with these great guests. And the reason I'm plugging it so hard is that I think this content really does matter. And I want to get it in front of people. I want to get in front of youth, people that are still undecided, who just don't know what they want to do with their lives. And I think this platform, you know, One YouTube, offers that opportunity kind of get up close and personal with some of these guests in a different format. And if you're just not into audio, if you're not into podcasting as a whole, that's fine. That's okay. Well, you can still digest the content in a different way. I would encourage you, if you do know somebody who's looking for that career, looking for some ideas, direct them over to lifeasa.dot over on YouTube. You know, if they're into videos, they might just find what they're looking for over there. And while you are there, hey, I would always appreciate a like or subscribe. It's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content matters, that it should be put in front of others. Well, I do thank you for letting me ask this of you, but I think it's about time we get into today's episode. You know, I'm really excited to share this episode today. It represents a profession that a lot of people are into. You know, I think it's like teaching. It's one of those professions where we probably all know two, three, four people that have found their way into helping others buy or sell homes. So I figured it'd be worth, you know, a look at the nuts and bolts of what it's all about, some of the details, as well as some of the hidden aspects of it all, rewards, challenges, and such. So I do have this great guest. His name is Brent Jones, and I just asked of him what I was describing there. I wanted to know the details of this line of work, and boy, did he deliver. Some of the topics we cover are a day in the life of a real estate agent. You know, what takes up his time? We also get into, you know, from a sales standpoint, what really differentiates the selling of homes versus other types of sales jobs that are out there. We get into an often overlooked aspect of the job that, truthfully, kind of defines whether a realtor is successful in the career or not. And we get into this really compelling discussion on something called community engagement realtor strategy. It was really, really interesting, and I think it'll be useful to a lot of people, people that are already in the profession or those that are looking to enter it. We also touch on a few other things like workarounds for realtors who are just starting in markets where they have no personal connection to. How do you go about doing that? And yeah, a host of other things as well, including tech trends, uh, this really moving story about some of the very real challenges that realtors sometimes face within the line of work. So all up, I think this conversation, it covers a lot of ground and it's going to be of great, great benefit to anyone who's either A, in the profession already, looking for some new insights, or for those who are looking to get into it, trying to decide whether or not it's the right move. So let me more formally introduce you to him and we can get started. Brent Jones is an award-winning realtor, having achieved the Rookie of the Year award for his first full year with his brokerage, Remax Niagara Realty. 
More recently, he won their 100% Club Sales Award for the past three years straight in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And he's on pace to do it again in 2023. Now, based in Fort Erie, Ontario, Canada, Brent proudly serves buyers and sellers of residential real estate across Southern Niagara at every stage of their home ownership journey. As a relative newcomer to the town, Brent attributes much of his rapid success to taking a community-focused approach to selling real estate. Rather than saturating his local market with billboards and radio ads, he prefers to engage by organizing fundraisers, community events, door knocking, content marketing, and finding creative ways to support and promote local businesses and nonprofits. As Brent is often fond of saying, a good realtor should be a good community ambassador. Now, despite the cliche, it's kind of his belief that people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, finally, Brent's also the creator and host of a town-centric podcast called The Fortiery Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Typically released once a week, new episodes feature coverage of local news, events, commentary, and interviews with noteworthy guests, offering residents a fun and engaging look at what makes his town such a great place to be. So with all of that noted, here's my conversation with Brent Jones. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Brent? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited for this talk for a number of different reasons. You know, and just pre-recording, we're chatting a little bit about what you do. And also, too, I'm going to throw this in there right off the top. I mean, we're talking about my hometown here, Fort Erie, which is, uh, which is always great to do. I'm always happy to, uh, to chat about that. So yeah, why don't we jump into this first segment? It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment I just read off a definition related to what the guest does. And sometimes these definitions hit, and sometimes they don't. But let me read off realtor or real estate agent for you, and maybe you can comment after. Does it sound okay? Sure, absolutely. All right, so here we go. Real estate agent. A real estate agent, referred to often as a real estate broker, is a person who represents sellers or buyers of real estate or real property. While a broker may work independently, an agent usually works under a licensed broker to represent clients. Brokers and agents are licensed to negotiate sales agreements and manage the documentation required for closing real estate transactions. There it is. First take, what do you think of that, Brent? Well, some of it depends upon jurisdiction. So, I mean, I can only really comment on those terms and sort of how they they work together in Ontario, where I trade in real estate. So even the term licensing, I even say, you know, just in passing, I'll mention to somebody I've been licensed since or whatever. There actually isn't a license, so to speak, in Ontario. You get registered here under the Real Estate Business and Brokers Act. So whether you are a, you can go to school, I'll call it realtor school just for the sake of brevity. You can go do the coursework to become a real estate salesperson, or there's an additional course or two you can do to become a a real estate broker. And so you register under the Real Estate Business and Brokers Act as one of those two things. They are essentially, for all intents and purposes, the same thing. The only thing that a broker can do, for instance, that I can't as a real estate salesperson is to either open their own brokerage or become a managing broker at a brokerage. But all real estate salespeople and brokers in the province of Ontario have to be employed by a real estate brokerage. It's a very dry definition, but that, that's essentially what it is. As far as the rest of it about trading and real estate, everything else you described, 
that that's pretty well it. I mean, that's 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 the job in a nutshell. All right. That's interesting. No, I thank you for that. And you're right. Certainly, like in different jurisdictions, they're going to have different rules and regulations for this. But I think it's helpful from a broad perspective to, to, to hear, you know, some of that. In terms of, I guess, getting back to the point of school, what is covered there? Like, what are things that a real estate agent would be picking up? A lot of stuff that you're probably never going to use. Uh, how many square feet are in an acre? Uh, what meets and bounds descriptions look like? How many feet there are in a chain? I'm being a little bit facetious because uh, one of the things that that I don't know if it's common knowledge or not is that once you've actually finished, and again, I keep calling it real estate school just for the sake of brevity, but once you're actually finished, you, you're not necessarily, and I know they're making improvements now that the program is being done through Humber College, uh, they're, they're making some improvements to it, but there isn't a whole lot of hands-on from my memory of actually doing things like writing an offer uh, reviewing contracts, that type of thing. It was a lot of being able to pass the multiple choice test. So there are, of course, things in there like reviewing sort of the the standard offer form, the agreement of purchase and sale in Ontario. So you do understand, you know, the basics of the clauses of it. But there's a lot of time spent on things like construction. Uh, even in the first course, if you if your listeners can believe it or not, the the first course had a whole section on on almost like basic math, like how to calculate the area of a property, which is basically just the area of a rectangle, like length times width. Um, But they allowed you to take a calculator in for the first exam. And it shocked me, like a lot of people showed up and didn't have a calculator. And and I guess we'll get to more of that later. It's like the barrier to entry sometimes is very, very low uh, in in, in a lot of cases. But the the coursework itself is a a precursor. It's like a minimum requirement to be able to get registered under the act, to be able to do the job. Uh, but I don't think it's until you actually start doing the job and hopefully with the guidance from a good brokerage or a good team leader, somebody to actually help you learn the business as you go and sort of learn learn the ins and outs of it. I will describe, and I hope I don't get in any trouble for saying this, but it's, it, it is, I find the, the coursework in Ontario at least is a very basic precursor to being able to do the job. It doesn't necessarily teach you how to do the job. Yeah, no, that's probably a good way of putting it. I think for a lot of professions, it's like that, right? Like what you're learning, theoretically speaking, is one thing, but actually getting into the field and interacting with the, with the people that are involved in that profession or within that industry, it's, it's a whole different game. And it takes some time, certainly, I'm sure, to, uh, to get up to speed. And maybe with that in mind, we can slide into this next segment, a day in the life segment, where we can kind of add to one, that definition, then also to like add some even deeper sense of, of clarity to what this job is all about. So, you know, maybe you could give us the, the most general, more generalized sense of what a day would be like, you know, within the life of a real estate agent. Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's <laughs> there's a broad swath of answers here, but, but I, I think of breaking it down in terms of time, at least for me, spent prospecting, actually working to develop contacts, generate new business. That needs to be a big chunk of every day. I think sometimes because, as I alluded to, you know, I said the barriers to entry can be relatively low. A lot of people decide, hey, I want to get registered or get licensed. I want to give it a try. Sometimes the perception is you think about what a real estate agent does. You go, that person is probably showing houses all day. It's like they're just you know, opening front doors. They're giving people tours of mansions. And, you know, and shows like Selling Sunset and some of the rest of this that's on, I think it's on Netflix, right? Some of that, I think, is maybe perpetuating that problem. But but the real truth of it is that unless you have a plan in place to actually, you know, make the phone calls, knock on doors, get into the, you know, sort of the community networks and networking events, I often think of, 
real estate as, as sales, like other professions, is a contact sport. So the more contacts you make, probably the more success that you're going to end up having. Advertising is fine. People think about, I'm going to put up a billboard or, or, you know, or, or run an ad in the newspaper. That doesn't mean your phone is necessarily going to ring um, just because you put up an ad. Odds are fair to good that people have a connection already with a realtor in your local community or local farming area. So first and probably most important every day is to make sure that prospecting time is in place. How do you get in front of people? How do you connect with them? So if we're looking at sort of my typical day, it would start with kind of responses and follow-ups, going through emails, calls, texts, responding to those, moving into prospecting time, you know, that type of thing. And then all the appointment-based stuff comes later. So meeting with a homeowner to review their home, give them an opinion of value, doing those showings, presenting offers, that tends to happen a little later. And then, of course, the follow-up has to happen again later in the day with, with returning calls, returning emails, that type of thing. So but that being said, it's like every day is a little bit different. It's it's one of those one of those careers where you can go into a day thinking you know exactly how it's going to unfold, and and you don't. You don't have any idea until you actually get into your day. But I don't. Does that answer the question? I think. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think so. You know, and I think just to kind of tail on with what you were just speaking of right there, I think like that must be one of the appealing aspects of it to a certain degree. I'm sure there's some stress in there too, but like that variety on a daily basis is probably what what helps keep you going or anyone going within that line of work, you know, again, and speaking with so many different types of peoples on this program, you know, that is one of the, the, the keys, I think, to fulfillment is having these different responsibilities and these different things, these different tasks that pop up from time to time, which again, I'm going to use that word of variety, which, which just helps, you know, it's the mundane, I think, which kills people's motivation and kills, you know, like, their, their outlook towards things. So yeah, it, it's a very self-directed career. I mean, I, I mentioned that regardless of your designation in Ontario, you have to be employed by a real estate brokerage. And that that is, of course, true. But make no mistake, when I say employed, you're still an independent contractor. There's nobody there telling you, hey, Chris, it's time to go make those phone calls now or go knock on those doors or do, do this or that. You have to figure out the day. But again, that, as you say, is one of the upsides to it is that, yeah, there is some degree of flexibility there. Uh, whether it's family commitments or other things that certainly those things can be worked around, you know, but, but it takes, it takes a degree of discipline to do that successfully to navigate. I have other things to do, but I still have to serve my clients at the same time. Yeah. It's that sales element to it all as well. Finding perspective, buyers, sellers, all these different things. You know, I, I liked how you preface this by, you know, stating you're not just showing homes all day long. <laughs> there is a whole different no. element to what this work is about. But you're right, though. I think a lot of people might just, you know, lazily sort of attach meaning to, to that aspect of the work and, and, and just let it sit there. But there's a whole lot more to it. And in terms of this conversation, there's more I want to get into in regards to that. You know, you'd mentioned like throwing up billboards, radio spots, and that's not your approach. But I'm really keen to, to get into that later on within the conversation. But before we do so, I was thinking maybe we could rewind a little bit here in this next segment, a pathway segment. Basically, the aim here is just to, to show how professionals make their way into their present day line of work. And again, I understand that you were licensed in 2019. And speaking of some non-traditional ways of how you engage with the community, you have your own podcast, the 4 podcast. Again, researching for this talk, I, I was listening to that and there was a segment there where you were speaking about your line of work and you made this comment that I felt was fairly compelling. And I believe it went something along the lines of real estate is nobody's plan A. So my question centers on this sentiment. And again, how you ended up doing what you're doing now. 
Yeah. So there's kind of, there's kind of two questions there, I guess. So, so tackling the first one, uh, real estate is nobody's plan A. I've been fond of saying that over the years because, you know, especially selling real estate in a small town, you get to know, and, and just for context for your listeners of greater Fort Erie, the town of Fort Erie is like 33, 34,000 people, give or take. And that's where I concentrate the majority of my marketing efforts, the majority of my time. And one of the things you'll find is that you end up very often doing business with the same other agents in town over and over again. You get to know people, you talk with them. I can't think of a whole lot of examples of where people as little kids, little little boys and girls, five and six said, man, I want to be a real estate agent when I grow up. I just, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I've certainly never met anybody where that was the case. What tends to happen more often than not is because, again, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the barrier to entry to become a realtor is relatively low to at least do the initial registration. I actually heard one of my mentors once told me in Ontario, it takes uh, 200 hours of class time to become a realtor, 2000 hours of class time to get licensed to cut hair. So our barbers are actually 10 times more qualified than our realtors, as crazy as that might sound. So I think what attracts people, I think a lot of times is they end up as sort of a crossroads in their life or their career where they're looking for something new to try. And they know somebody maybe who's been successful in real estate. So they say, let me give this a go. And what you'll find is, as with most sales positions, you'll get sort of a portion of people who will figure it out and will rise to the top. And then there's a percentage who will go, no, this isn't for me. And very often people figure that out early in the coursework. Those who do get, you know, kind of complete the coursework, get started in the career, you have to renew your registration every two years in Ontario. That's called the provisional period. They choose not to renew, right? So that, that does tend to happen. But I think a lot of people give it a shot and they figure out very quickly if this is for them. To clarify one thing about the sales piece of it, I've, I've, because I've had people ask me, you know, Brent, is this something I should try? Should I look at maybe getting into real estate? And my suggestion to everybody is sure, if you have an interest, I mean, give it a try, you know, I think. And, and obviously you'll figure it out for yourself very quick. But I, I find that sometimes people go into it with maybe the idea that, again, like the phone is going to ring for them, that they're going to spend all day showing homes and that they're, they're really going to have to hone in on their sales skills. And, and I remind them that it's like your sales skills, you know, they think they're going to be like hard closing, like you see in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. And I'm like, maybe that works at a mall kiosk if you're trying to sell a cell phone cover or something like that. But when you're talking about selling a home that's 500, 800,000, a million dollars, that's a very different type of sales, let's say, because you are really working more than anything else at building the like, know, and trust factor. I think the second part of your question was how I ended up going down this path, right? To say, hey, I want to, um, I, I want to, to get into real estate. I've always been in sales, sort of in one capacity or another, basically for my my whole career. My wife and I lived in the GTA. We lived in North York, Toronto area, and uh, we wanted to buy our first home. This is before I was in real estate, and it's funny to think back then how reasonable housing prices seemed, but to us, it seemed like Toronto was crazy expensive. My wife is originally from, uh, she's American. She was born in Miami, raised in Atlanta. And uh, we, we kind of thought, hey, if we're going to buy our first home, maybe we could look at one of the smaller markets in Ontario. We like the Niagara area. We like the idea of being close to the border because the Buffalo airport's right there. It made it easy to visit her family, easy for them to come visit us. We bought our first home in Fort Erie in 2014. And the agent that we worked with at the time, I was not super duper impressed with, let's say. So uh, we bought our first home. And I remember thinking the whole time, I could probably do this better. Like that's that's what I was thinking. And it wasn't intended to be arrogant. It was just like, I did not have a great experience. I could probably do this better. When we moved to town, we started up a social media marketing agency. My wife and I ran that together for several years. 
really not my idea of a good time, like playing on Twitter. Like that was just not for me. Uh, that was not <laughs> that was not what I wanted to do. So when I sort of handed off everything, my wife runs that business now. And I thought I want to transition back into doing something in sales, but something maybe a little more meaningful where I can engage with my community. I can actually be involved in something like you're not selling toner and pens and that kind of thing, right? It's like, and no, not knocking people in that profession. But for me, it's like, I'd rather do something that feels a little more like I'm involved with people, involved in, in, in the livelihood and the future of people who live in my community. I think a couple things stood out for me in listening to that. You know, one, when you first started speaking about your own history there, you spoke about like the sales element of selling homes versus say selling other items or selling different things. And really quickly, I want to go back to that point. Like what makes that different or what, you know, I think maybe you just alluded to it a moment ago, but what is different about selling a home versus say anything else from your experience thus far? This is going to sound, I'm probably going to have salespeople that are going to hate this answer, but there is absolutely nothing that you are going to say that's going to make somebody buy a house. That's, that's what I mean about it being different. There are so many factors involved in completing a real estate transaction that go beyond simply opening the door and saying, wow, look at these granite countertops. Whether we're talking about financing, insurance issues, inspection, zoning, you know, whatever, whatever the case happens to be, there's a lot of moving pieces in there and finding the right fit for your client or a converse, you're the listing agent, you know, working to, to get the listing in front of as many qualified eyeballs as possible to maximize its chance for a quick sale and the highest final selling price possible. So there's a lot of competing factors there. But I think sometimes people see it as a barrier to get into this career as they go, oh, I couldn't sell anything. I don't have any sales skills. And what they're really thinking is that they're going into a career where you're going to be trying to persuade and convince people all day. And when you start dealing with figures, like I mentioned, like $500,000, a million dollars north of that, there's not a thing you are going to say, Chris, that's going to make that person go, I'm ready to spend a million dollars. I'm ready to get in debt for the next 30 years right now because <laughs> of something you said. It's, it's, it's the type of sales where, yes, follow-up is important, timing is important, diligence is important, but it's the type of sales where you're, you're working harder, harder on building that no like, and trust factor so that when you do a transaction with somebody... It's not the one-time sale of pens and toner or whatever, or the cell phone case I gave as an example. It's the, it's the type of transaction where you go, well, I hope Chris is going to refer his kids to me. I hope he's going to want them to do a transaction with me. So this is what I mean about getting into the type of sales where you are embedding yourself into your community and, and uh, finding a genuine reason to want to serve your clients and do a good job. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you, you just spell it out that way, like the technical side of it, and then also just like some of those points that you're just raising. Cause for me, when I was kind of like hypothesizing on this, I was thinking like what distinguishes the type of work that you do versus anything else. Like to me, it would be like just sentimentality of it all. Like the connection somebody might or might not have with the home. This is a place for a lot of people. And oftentimes that they might spend 20, 30 years of their life, you know, or even five years. I mean, that's still a significant portion of, of somebody's life and the attachment or the excitement potentially of maybe moving into a place or even having to leave a place. Like there's, there's emotion involved in the sale. I'd like how you had these other elements within there as well. Well, I, I've often said that because I will meet with uh, potential clients that are looking to sell and they'll tell me, you know, Brent, there's no, no emotional attachment here. You know, we just want the best, best selling price possible and we just need this or that or whatever the case happens to be. And then they say that right up until you actually like the rubber meets the road and there's showings and you're bringing them an offer and you're negotiating the close date. I've never been involved in a transaction, I don't think, where there wasn't 
some type of emotional connection involved. And the same cannot be said for selling a, a cell phone case at the mall kiosk, right? It's just not the same type of transaction. So a lot of realtors joke, uh, I, I don't know if it's a joke, but just most realtors understand that we are real estate professionals. We understand sort of the legal ins and outs of the process, but in part, we're also therapists too. And we understand we're gonna spend a large portion of our time working with our clients, handling their fears, their concerns, their anxieties, and, and working with them. And that's the thing, if you're not prepared to go that distance, it makes it very tough to connect with people, to build a long-term career. When you have people going, man, that guy or that person, that, that they made me feel uncomfortable. I felt like they didn't understand me. Even if you did all the things right to represent that client, people will remember, what's the saying? It's like, people will not always remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel type of thing. And you're very cognizant of that in this profession. Yeah, no, I love that. I really like that. And that's a perfect segue into this next segment here, a Q&A discovery. We kind of continue this back and forth. You know, and off the top, I did mention that, you know, you have been having success since launching within this line of work. I mean, you're the, the rookie of the year within your first year for the brokerage, Remax, Nagar Realty. You've also received their elite sales award for the past three years. You're on track for year four. And clearly, you're doing a lot of things right here, Brent. But what I would like to know is what you feel has gone into your success. So, I mean, if you could distill some of those things down to, you know, a handful of elements, like what, what would they be? What would you say they are? Yeah, it's, it's actually funny because I'm a bit of a, I'm a, bit of a numbers nerd. Uh, like I, I like tracking things as much as I can. And my thought, and I'll come back to the numbers thing, but my, my thought getting into real estate was that, again, my wife and I were transplants from the Toronto area. I didn't grow up here. I didn't have the privilege of some, some agents you know, who get registered, they begin their career, and they have this whole warm market of people they know locally. And you being from Fort Erie, you know there's a handful of sort of legacy names, let's say around town, that it's like people know people in a small town. So I did mention earlier advertising things like newspapers, billboards, you can do that kind of stuff. But it's not overly effective in a small town where everybody knows everybody. That's my hill that I'm willing to die on. I, I don't think it's a great use of money. I don't think it builds trust with people. I think getting out and actually talking and meeting with people or finding some other way to more organically connect with people and have them know your name is a far, far greater path, especially for somebody just starting out who maybe doesn't have a ton of money to do a you know, a region-wide billboard strategy this year. They're going, I, I got to bootstrap it for a little bit. So just putting it in a basket, being a community focused realtor was sort of was always the objective for me. I said, okay, I don't have the warm market of tons and tons of contacts in this area, but what I do have is a little bit of social media savvy. I do have things in the community that I enjoy that I'd like to share with other people. Some of the things that I've done since I've started is organizing community events where, for instance, like a fundraiser type barbecue for the SPCA, for the, 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 the pet shelter, you know, doing things like a car wash for big brothers doing a food drive for, for our local food bank, doing, uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples, uh, uh, a bottle drive that raised money for our hospital, these types of things. This was a great way to help. And I've always said that, and I think you're going to come to this point later, so I don't want to harp on it too much, but a good realtor should be a good community ambassador. Take care of the people in your community if this is where you're going to trade in real estate. And again, I have, in that sense, I'm working in a small town, a relatively small town, but even for a realtor working in a big city, if they're in Toronto, you may have your one neighborhood or your one of sort of farm area where you want to concentrate on trying to help and improve the lives of people there. So events are a big thing. Gift card giveaways. I love supporting local businesses. Uh, one of the things I set out to do was to try every month to purchase a gift card to a local business that I liked, whether I knew the business owner or not, it's irrelevant. 
and yes, buy it with my own money, advertise on Facebook that I'm giving it away. This is not something that's unique to me. Other realtors do this too. The only difference is I usually see people saying like, well, follow us and like it and leave a comment. Mine's different. It's a funnel right into my email marketing list. So it's, hey, if you want to enter this giveaway, pop in your name and email. I have almost 1,500 email contacts just here in the town of Fort Erie. And, and that's just, it's a very simple thing. So the business loves it because I've, I've been promoting their business all month online. People like it because they get a chance to win something. And I have an audience of people now that I can talk to that I didn't have, you know, a couple of months ago. The podcast you mentioned, the 40 Re podcast, I mean, I don't have paid sponsors for that. I'm not selling ad spots. It is a podcast that, and you, you know from having listened to it, that is a community focus. Some of it is me editorializing things and just, just you know, telling jokes and just kind of, you know, having a good time with it. But I do it for my own amusement, but I also do it because I thought when I first moved to town here and I was not a realtor, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was something like that in our town where there was sort of this more fun, you know, uh, a topical almost weekly piece, you know, that, that highlighted what's great in our community. So, I mean, I'm giving you very, very specific examples. Cause I know you said you wanted to kind of get into the nuts and bolts, but uh, I keep a little checklist. I know this, there's a video part to this too, but I have a little checklist beside me of here are all the things we do on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis to make sure we're connecting with people in the community. And that's when I said earlier, I said, I come back to it. That's where, you know, I track all my business. It's funny because I can look and see, Hey, the 40 re podcast, it's my number three best source of business. Even though it's not a podcast about real estate, people listen to the podcast and then go, you know, I'd like to work with this guy. Sometimes it's the guests that I interview who just go, hey, as long as I got you on the phone or whatever it is, it's like, <laughs> hey, can we talk real estate? And it's, it's funny when those things come full circle. But the real sort of nuts and bolts of, of achieving success is going to be different for every person. I'm comfortable doing a podcast. Some people will not be. Uh, some people, you know, want to do the billboard route. And I say, hey, good luck. If that's your strategy, by all means, go for it. But I tend to focus on different ways that I can integrate myself into the, the community and hopefully do some good for other people. I'm also a big thing, uh, big on the um, not, not rushing the process, if that makes sense. I, I think that happens sometimes, too, when people first get registered or get licensed. They go, I, I need to get a sale this month. I got to close a deal. I got to they get that commission breath. And it's super off-putting to people because they can tell right they away know. when you're out. Yeah, people know, they right? Do. They it's pick like, up on that. Yeah, it, like either you're here to make this quick sale and get it done and get out of here, or like you actually want to build a long-term relationship. So, you know, that that has helped too. I had the benefit of, I mentioned my wife and I built the business together, handing it off to her. We had some level of financial stability at home where it's like, it's not like I had to go do, you know, so many transactions this month or we're going to go broke. It wasn't that case. But unfortunately, that's not the case for everybody who gets started, which unfortunately sometimes leads to negative stereotypes, I think, about realtors in general, right? But Taking a more long-term community-focused approach, I think, is the correct answer. Well, what screams out to me in listening to that is community engagement. Whether it's the podcast, whether it's some of these other you know, initiatives that you have with local businesses and whatnot. My question here is, is that becoming the norm within that industry now? Like, Are people moving away from the traditional billboards, radio spots, or is this something that's still just kind of evolving right now? That is a great question. Yeah, so much of it depends on the market. Like my wife and I always joke that if you're driving through Ontario, every billboard has a realtor on it. But as soon as you cross the border into New York state, every billboard there is like a personal injury attorney. And it's just, it's very telling of like who's spending the advertising dollars in different markets. I think there is a shift where people are shifting away a little bit because they think there's like an ick factor to it. And I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I've seen some younger agents on Instagram and that type of thing 
talking disparagingly about making cold calls. They're like, ooh, I wouldn't do that. There's like an ick factor to calling people. And I'm like, I mean, I guess, but posting TikTok dances and stuff all day, I don't know if that's any better. I think there's a cringe factor to that too, right? So I, <laughs> I think it very much depends. I think there is a saturation of realtors, even just in the time I've been licensed, where the, the, the NAGRA Association of Realtors has more members now than it did five years ago. I think as you're getting more of a saturation of agents, you're going to get a variety of different approaches. So there are some people who are going to want to steer away from those more traditional marketing channels, people who aren't going to want to do the door knocking. But I think that can also set you apart. I remember knocking on doors in Crystal Beach, which is part of the town of Fort Erie. And I knocked on somebody's door. And by the way, for people who think door knocking, people are going to be mad at you and they're going to sick their dogs on you and they're going to, you know, that never happens. I never. I mean, the worst that's ever happened is one time somebody closed a door in my face. Like that's that's it. it nothing bad happens. But I, I remember this one door that I knocked on. It, it, somebody they came out and they almost complained. It was like, man, there's a realtor at my door every day. And I said, ma'am, can you actually think back? Like, when was the last time an agent knocked on your door? Like, you think they knock on your door all the time because you get our postcards and things in the mail or mailers. And she thought about it and she's like, I don't know, it's probably been like 30 years. And I'm like, exactly. Like I am, I'm the guy who's actually out here doing it. So sometimes that creates an advantage for people who go, there's Nick factor to this thing or that. I don't want to do it. Well, if you're the only person doing it, suddenly you stand out a lot more too, right? So I think the correct answer is, as more people get into this profession is figuring out what works for you and what's duplicatable. Yeah, there you go. And also too, like what was coming to mind there is like, as industries evolve, you know, the, the pendulum swings of how you're interacting, how you're engaging with people. And maybe for the most part, it is swinging away from this door to door, you know, sort of type of sales engagement strategy. But like you said, when you're the only one doing it, well, you're going to stand out. And if you're emphasizing some of the other things that that, that, that you know, you can leverage within yourself, your personality, your, your, your social skills and whatnot. Yeah, it can definitely, as I said, help you stand out. So I like that point. I think it, it, it resonates. And also, too, I would say that, you know, within this day and age, I think with social media, you know, there, there is a certain level of intimacy with it. But then you're right, like it can go off in the wrong direction really quickly if you're not careful about it. And I suppose it all kind of comes down to who you're trying to attract. Maybe if your segment are young home buyers, that's the segment you want to target. So you want to be putting out, you know, your media aimed at them, how they're going to engage, how they're going to, you know, take all of that in. But if you're going for a more mature, you know, segment of the of the population, buyers and sellers, maybe you do want that more traditional approach. So, yeah, I like that. I like that insight. I do have this other question here, though, in terms of the work itself and not so obvious challenges related to it. I'd love to, to, to hear about that, because, again, like the conversation so far has been great in the sense that I feel like we're getting this inside look like much more deeper than what, you know, just that traditional look of just buying and selling and closing sales is, is all about or what's perceived to be about. But in terms of some of the challenges that you're experiencing or you're facing on a fairly constant basis, what would those be? And maybe even some workarounds for them? You know, I, I don't I don't know about workarounds necessarily. I think one of the challenges people can find if they're not careful is inconsistency in income. I mean, and sometimes this happens with with agents new and old alike. People have been doing it a long time. And it's like, you know, you can you can have a a lull. There's even times of the year where you know that the market is not as active, like late summer, you get that July and August, dog days of summer. You don't get as much real estate activity as you say during during the spring market, for example. So there can be periods of inconsistency, and that can certainly uh, that can certainly scare some people off. 
I mean, I think one of the challenges that I've, I've personally worked through is keeping up with a market that is changing so quickly. I mean, you mentioned earlier that I was licensed in 2019, which is which is true. But 2019 was pre-pandemic, and it was a great time to kind of get my feet wet and do some of that door knocking. Well, I talked about door knocking. Can you imagine doing that in like 2020, 2021? You weren't out knocking on doors, and suddenly you go, well, that doesn't work. So now it's like, okay, I have to do something else. Even doing things like open houses. Say, you, you know, most agents put a focus on either I want to primarily be a listing agent or I want to be a buyer's agent. And you could do both, of course. The best case scenario is that you do both. Otherwise, you're cutting off half the transactions every year. But a great way to meet new buyers is to do an open house. Well, pandemic hits. And you go, well, there were so many rules around that. It was almost like awkward now to meet people and you're all masked up and you're not shaking hands. And, you know, I can only let in this many people at a time. So there were there are factors like that that will change. I mean, market conditions right now, we think about rising interest rates in Canada. That's a tricky thing. So, you know, prices come down. Like last year, for example, across Ontario, prices came down from the pandemic high approximately 26, 27%. Okay, the median household price. So now you go to a seller that you met with in February and told them, hey, I could get you $900,000 for your house. You meet with them again in December. And I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's like, yeah, your place is now worth 650. And that's a tough pill to swallow if they built plans around like selling and then buying again. So these are some of the challenges and the best way to get around that. There's no, you can't stop these things from happening. But what you can do is, is two things, I think. One is to be very, very aware of what's happening in your local market. Stop trying to be the agent who's like, I serve Niagara, Hamilton, Halton, Haldeman, Peel, York, Toronto. You see some of these people where it's like, I cover the entire GTA. It's like 10 million people. And you're like, well, you, you can't do any of those well. You have to know something about your local area and be an expert somewhere. So one is being a numbers nerd, as I like to call myself. Whatever you're doing, keep up on what's what's being listed, what's being sold, what's selling for what, what are the market trends, what are the challenges people in your community are having with housing. Understand that first and foremost. So be very, very conscious of things as they're happening. Don't be the reactionary agent who finds out later, you know, prices are trending downward and oops, I didn't notice for the past three months, you know, all my listings are overpriced right now. The other piece to that is not only be conscious of the math, but be very good at communicating that to your clients. Uh, this is the other piece that's missing sometimes is go, I know what I know, but I don't know if you know what I know. And so part of the job is also making sure that your clients know exactly what's happening. I like to do regular uh, video updates for my clients, whether they're buyers or sellers. So I'll do a screen share. My little webcam is in the bottom and I'll show them the trends as I'm seeing them. I'll show them the comps that are on the market. I'll let them see the data. That way I don't have to schedule a meeting necessarily or say, hey, I need you to call me on your lunch break today while you're at work. But let me keep you in the know about what's happening you know, as, as it pertains to your situation. And maybe this goes back a little bit to the conversation about social media is that on, on social media, it's very much a broadcast type platform. You might create a great market update video, but it is a very broad market update video that speaks to nobody. And so I'd rather, instead of doing that with my time, I'd rather create individual content that I can send to either my clients or potential clients and say, hey, here's the trend. Here's what I'm seeing. This is what I'm recommending we do or don't do. Those those are two that yeah I think those are the the main two that 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 come to mind. Yeah, I like those. You know, communication, just clear communication and just engagement as well. You know, showing that you care, genuinely putting the time, effort, and energy into that. Like you said, you could have this blanket approach, but you know, who's that going to speak to? Probably no one in the end, right? But if you're putting that no. little extra time, you know, personalizing it, that's what stands out to people, right? And it's it's sure time-tested true sort of approach to sales, you know, and, and just showing heart in, in what you're doing. Yeah, I like that. 
I, I have this Thanks. last question that I want to slide in here as well. And to this point, we've spoken about this community aspect quite a bit. And I really like that because I think it's, it shows a whole different side of what this line of work is about. But also, too, in, in terms of the personal side for you, I can see how the deeper you get within the community itself by doing some of these things, you know, involving yourself with some of these businesses and, and, and fundraisers and whatnot, community events, you're also probably deriving this other level of satisfaction from the work, just from a life and living perspective. Maybe you could speak to that on a more philosophical level of what, what this work has come to mean to you. It, it might not be something that you originally envisioned happening for yourself, but I, I'm getting the sense that you're, you're plugging yourself deeper and deeper into the community by the work that you're doing. Am I under anything there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because if, you know, one of the segments I do on the 40 Re podcast is a call-in part where people can leave voicemail messages that I'll play on the show, anything they want, anything they see around town. And I actually had a series of people who called, it's going to be in an upcoming episode, who have specific bylaw issues pertaining to traffic, like we need speed bumps on this street, or we need to do something about helmets being mandated for electric scooter use and like stuff like that. And in the messages, they've said things like, you know, I tried reaching out to such and such town counselor and I didn't really get a response, Brent, but I'm hoping you can do something about it. And I'm like, that is a very strange position of power for a real estate agent that has a podcast. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I probably can't do anything about it, but it's, it is very strange now, you know, because I, I tend to be a bit of an introverted person. And, you know, you know, with introverts, it's like, that doesn't mean you don't have social skills. It just means you were charged by kind of getting some, some time to yourself. And so very often, uh, like I have a young family, my, my, my daughter's 16 months, we have a second child on the way. And when we go out in public, it's like people recognize me all the time. And it's like, like a, a, I don't want to call it like small town celebrity status, but it's something that's very new and very strange to me. And, and there's always a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it too, right? Because you go, you know, I, I hope I wasn't picking my nose right before they saw me or something, right? Because it's like, you know, who knows, right? It's like you forget that people recognize your face because they've seen it all over town or all over Facebook. But there, there are a lot of very uh, rewarding moments. Actually, I don't know if you can see in the video the corkboard here, but I keep things pinned up. Like I get thank you cards from clients. I get I get these nice little notes of people dropping things off and say, hey, thanks. I I really appreciate what you did or this or that. And 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 it's it's it all happens very sort of organically. It's like if you do the job and you love doing it, I think people can tell. Like I think people can tell that it's, I didn't just do a good job because I was afraid you'd sue me after or I'd get into some type of disciplinary trouble. I did the job right for you because I care about my clients and I want to see them uh, succeed. And, and because so much of my business comes from community-focused type initiatives, it's like it's hard not to find myself, you know, constantly, I think you use the word deeper, finding ways to develop more deeper and meaningful relationships with different people. I will, however, let your listeners in on a bit of a secret. If you want like an exclusive here Let's for hear the Life Let's as a it. Podcast, I have like a terrible case of like face blindness. Like, and I was watching a, a, like a CBC Nature of Things the other night about facial blindness. People have difficulty recognizing faces. For any listeners who do bump into me someday in public or something, maybe just reintroduce yourself real quick. Doesn't mean I don't like you. I probably know your name, your phone number, your address, what your house looks like. I'll remember all that, but the facial recognition for me, not not always uh, not always first and foremost. So anyway, silly little thing you can add there for uh, for, there you for your podcast. I don't <laughs> think I've ever admitted that out loud before, but faces but, do not come naturally to me. There you go, there you go. But it, it doesn't seem to be affecting you though. It does not seem to be affecting you in the way you're doing your work and, and the success that you've been having. 
You know, I, I, I like hearing, you know, some of those elements of what you're just sharing there. I mean, both sides of it, some of the challenges perhaps of, you know, embedding yourself within a community, but then also some of the rewards too. And the other thing that came to mind is like, you know, maybe you get these little thank you notes once in a while, or you have these interactions with people and that ultimately kind of feeds into the cycle of fueling you, giving you extra motivation, I would assume as well to, to keep going, right. You know, and to keep pushing forward in different respects, like it doesn't become just a dollars and cents sort of motivator for anyone within any line of work. If you have these different degrees of motivation, several different drivers of that, that's what ultimately ends up propelling people forward in a lot of different ways. So yeah, I like hearing that as well, that it's alive and well within the work that you're involved within. Well, the, the odd thing, Chris, is that I've been in, I said I've been in sales in sort of one capacity or another my whole life. And I've, I've done those jobs where the only motivator is the paycheck. It's like there is nothing else to it. So you go, ooh, I closed an even bigger sale today. That's an even bigger commission. And you go, it is, it is hard to keep doing that for a long period of time with enthusiasm. It is very difficult because everybody thinks money is a big motivator. But for most of us, when it actually comes down to it, it doesn't even crack the top five. You need a certain income to sustain a certain lifestyle. But at the same time, it's like everything above and beyond that, it isn't a reason to get out of bed in the morning. So you have to, you have to find something that, that means more to you than that. And it is always interesting when, you know, I mentioned some of the, and sometimes I, I complain a little about a bit of the loss of privacy in a small town as a realtor that, you know, but the upside to that is like, somebody will come up to me and say, Hey, Brent, and they know me by name, or maybe they even know my wife or my daughter kind of vicariously through me and trying to find out how they know me. Is it from real estate? Is it because you listen to the podcast? Did you see one of my Facebook posts? Whatever it happens to be, were you at one of my community events? And the answer always surprises me because it's, it's again, with like a different variety of things to connect with people, meet them in the community. You don't know necessarily where the person knows you from. They just know you from somewhere. That's very kind of cool because you did something like a, like a, a fundraiser and you know everybody questions after that, did I have an impact? Did it matter? And it's like, yeah, somebody here remembers me from that, not from selling houses. They remember me from that, right? That's a very cool feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, why don't we skip on over to this next segment here, a water cooler story segment. And it's just a segment, you know, where I let the, the guests take over and share a story related to their work. So I'm eager to hear what you have for us today, Brian. You know what? I, I really like this segment. You do the water cooler story because it, it, I, I imagine in almost every profession, there are uh, awesome things that you love. And then there are things where uh, not so great. And And I thought, you know, you really took a focus on this on this episode about, you know, people coming into real estate, what they might not know, what maybe they should expect. And so one of the things I wanted to to emphasize with this story is that it isn't all this the, the thank you notes and the 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 this, you know, everybody's happy. And as I there are unfortunately a lot of very uh, upsetting circumstances you end up involved in as a realtor. Death in the family, you know, and there becomes there's an estate sale. You sometimes end up with disputes between siblings over that kind of thing. You end up with a situation, you know, somebody's uh, uh, been involved. I mean, I had one situation where somebody, you know, it was a house fire and the person perished in the house and then the son had to, to, to sell his father's estate. But the story I thought I would mention, and it's not to bum anybody out or discourage them, but just to say, hey, set the expectations realistically that there's, there's a lot of great impact you have. But a lot of times you're involved in messy situations. And I had a, a client's property who I listed. I met with this lady. Her husband was terminally ill in the hospital. That's why they needed to sell the property because she wasn't going to be able to manage the home anymore on her own when he passed. 
And I met with her, uh, you know, at, at the property to talk about selling. But turns out she also had dementia. And so sometimes she would remember who I was and sometimes she wasn't. So the daughter's now involved as power of attorney, signing on behalf of her mother and her father. Before the listing even hits the market, father passes away in the hospital. And um, I know I know that's a very anticlimactic story. Uh, it's, not, it's not exciting. It isn't necessarily meant to motivate. But I, I built... I felt like in those moments with with the the owner of the house, the, the the seller, the mom, that I was able to build connection with her in the time that I was with her, and the daughter, you know, who ultimately ended up signing everything, you know, thanked me profusely. I talked to her multiple times after this whole transaction was completed. Said they'd never worked with a realtor who had taken that. She said the you know the kindness you showed to my mom in this very difficult time, even you know. I, she liked pizza. I'd always show up with a pizza if I had to go to their house for something, you know, just it's not like that added to my commission check. It was just like, hey, I thought it was the right thing. You know, it's like show up and try to be human with people during a very, very difficult time. And there were a lot of tears in that transaction. But that that still is one of my uh, I don't want to say favorite story, but I mean, it's one of those where you go, it's 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 not it's not the type of work for everybody in that sense. It's not just the hammer up the sold sign and everybody smiles for a picture like you see on Instagram. A lot of times these transactions have have a lot of moving pieces at, at the back end, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a certain degree of sensitivity that has to go into it. Like, like you said, not every sale is going to be the same. You're dealing with people and, and, and sometimes the best part of their lives, sometimes the worst part of their lives. So I think that story yes. represents like a dose of reality for people, you know, in, in looking at the profession from a holistic standpoint. Really, really helpful insight there. You know, to this point, I think this conversation has been really well-rounded you know we've been touching on a lot of different elements the good the bad and, and the ugly quite frankly you know and uh, it, it's helpful it's that type of insight that i think is really you know helpful for somebody who's maybe considering it all they need to hear those types of stories so i do appreciate you sharing that we are rounding the bend in this last segment here a crystal ball segment and uh, oftentimes you know the the focus here is on technology trends predictions so on and so forth like I see realtors now using technology or tools, whether it be social media, whether it be drones to get these really kind of cool shots of the property, aerial shots and whatnot. I'd love to hear from your perspective what you're seeing within the industry or maybe even what you're employing from time to time. You know, what's some of the chatter? Well, it's 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 funny because there, there's a lot of like technology being used now The say wasn't used, you know, 10, 20 years from now. Like e-signature is the norm now. The, you know, it used to be for agents that were, you know, say say they were active in the 1990s or, you know, they had fax machines, they had uh, like carbon paper, you'd have like six copies of everything signed because everybody could get a copy. Now it's like, it's crazy. It's like you just drop everything into DocuSign or whatever you use and collect signatures remotely. So in that respect, technology certainly made things uh, a lot easier. You mentioned photography, like drone photography, which is you know, it, it is it is almost unheard of now to see a, a a realtor using their own camera or using their phone. Like that's the realtor that gets teased and made fun of. Like, oh, that guy just uses his phone to take listing pictures. That's crazy. Of course, you hire a professional photographer. But one of the other neat things we can do with photography now now too is virtual staging. So it was for for a long time for uh, you know there would be actual companies or people that did staging. As you're gonna you know I'm gonna list Chris's house. He needs staging. Okay, let's bring in the professional stager and. They tell you your furniture is ugly and we should get rid of this and we'll put in this thing and it'll make everything look better. In vacant homes now, we can actually do virtual staging where I can get uh, I can get a company to like 
you know, take this vacant room and place like furniture in there. Now we have to disclose that, that it's been virtually staged, but, but it looks so convincing that you, you may not even realize unless you go looking in the fine print. Uh, one of the other things we do here in Niagara now is uh, century lock lock boxes. We don't use those like, you know, the combination thing anymore because it was considered unsafe for you as the, the homeowner. If somebody memorizes the code and comes back, they can open it at any time and get into your house. So now you have to be a, 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 a registrant in Ontario. You have to be a real estate salesperson. You use your phone. You actually log in and you open up the lockbox. And then I get a record and you know I get notified, hey, somebody entered my listing at this time. And this is the agent that it was. So I, I get all of that type of thing. And there's protection for the, the showing agent too, because you can set up an emergency contact where, hey, if I don't check in every two minutes on my phone, that means something went awry here at this at this showing. So that there's a lot of neat things uh, like that that make the job easier, make it safer, uh, and you know create a better experience for everybody involved. There is also the chatter. You know, I don't know if you remember a few years ago they were talking about like robots and AI is going to replace realtors. We're not going to be needed anymore. I think that one might be a little bit of a stretch for the uh, foreseeable future, but who knows, man? Maybe one day we'll all be replaced by robots. <laughs> Hopefully not. But if that's the case, that certainly wouldn't be limited just to realtors. That would affect a lot of professions. I can't think of any real um, downsides tech-wise. I mean, I think tech technology maybe in some ways has made it a little bit more of a faceless business. If I want to book a showing on a listing, I do it all through a system called Broker Bay. I basically go on like a calendar and pick the day and time, and the seller's notified, and the listing agent is notified. Everybody gets, gets notice for this, which eliminates a little bit of the need for me to actually call you on the phone and say, hey, I want to go show this listing of yours. Can I get the key from you or get the key from your brokerage? So maybe that is a little bit of a downside. But overall, the, the tedious tasks have largely been automated at this point, if that makes sense. So uh, which just frees up time to actually do the job, which is, you know, which is the dream, right? That's what we all want to be doing is actually do the job. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not for you, but like sometimes with technology, the downside for some people at least is the pace at which it's evolving, you know, and then like people are constantly having to learn new things, new systems, new processes, new digital systems or content management platforms. And that becomes a bit of a chore because you're, you're just trying to figure that out. And then you've got the next thing coming. Are you noticing that type of pace within real estate industry? I, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything that I say, wow, this has gone way too fast for my comfort level. I I, I think, and, and this is just speculation on my part, I think there is some considerations to be made around uh, things like e-signatures, for example. I know that that is sort of standard, as long as all parties consent in writing, but you're consenting in writing with an e-signature, which is kind of ironic, I think. So uh, I, I think there could be legal challenges maybe on that one day where you know, it, it's it's not difficult to forge an electronic signature. Easy to trace where it came from, but I mean, difficult to to prevent it from happening. And sometimes, you know, we hear about issues of fraud and you know, in in housing and mortgages. There there could be some risk maybe with that. But uh, in, in some respects, there were things that I think could probably be changed faster that maybe aren't moving quick enough to keep up with the times. In a very typical real estate transaction. There's a lot of like paper checks involved, for example, like a lawyer's office, once a transaction is closed, not only issues a certified paper check to the listing brokerage, but they actually mail it. It's like there's no there's no wire transfer. There's no like let's direct deposit it. And it's very odd for for our banking system to be as evolved as it is. And sometimes we're still chasing down paper checks. It's it's a little strange, but, you know, I, I, I can't think of anything that's changing too quickly. Uh, I think I think in most cases the the technology changes we're seeing 
are are lightening the workload, which is which is a positive thing. Well, I've got to say, Brent, I mean, this has been a really enlightening conversation. We've just blown through it. We're, we're getting close to that one hour mark now and feel as though we've just begun. And to me, typically, that's always a mark of a good conversation. So I want to thank you for all your time, insights and, and, and everything you shared today. I think uh, listeners are really, really going to enjoy this conversation. So thanks again. Well, I, I hope they do, man. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Brent and his work, you can do so via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, and TikTok. And his handle for all of those platforms is at buywithbrent. You can also find him at his website, buywithbrent.ca, as well as the Fort Erie podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for reference, all this information, including links, will be included in the show notes. And hey, I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. You can also show further support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you access your podcasts. And lastly, hey, head on over to YouTube. Off the top, I mentioned I do have that channel over there. You can catch video highlights of the conversation. And if you are over there, I'd really, really appreciate a like or subscribe. Finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.